Cities nationwide are warming up to electric vehicles by integrating them into municipal fleets and switching out diesel buses for plug-in models, capturing huge cost savings in the process. Increasingly, city leaders encourage residents to join them in making the switch, one that simultaneously supports sustainability and favors consumers. Amid an onslaught of innovation that is lowering the cost of electric vehicles and propelling self-driving technology forward, the city of Austin, Texas is charting a transportation future that factors in electrification, autonomous vehicles, and the sharing economy. The city's municipal utility, Austin Energy, is helping to lead the charge. Carl Popham, who for 11 years has overseen emerging technologies and electric vehicles for Austin Energy, recently spoke with John Farrell, the head of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, about the changes already underway and what he predicts will come next. We need to think more in terms of convenience and mobility and less about you know owning something that ultimately is parked over 90% of the time. This is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. You wrote a recent piece uh, where you talked about how EV sales in Austin are growing very strongly year over year. We just released another podcast with entrepreneur and lecturer Tony Siba, who says that by 2030, all new cars that are sold are going to be electric. And I'm curious, as somebody who does electric vehicle work all the time, what do you think of that? I like Tony's outlook. I think there's definitely a lot of factors supporting it. First and foremost is people buy cars because they're cool and they're, they're fun to drive. You know, there's that emotional connection. And I think there's getting enough vehicle types and manufacturers on board. But I would even push it further, you know, by 2030 is I don't think of the car market as we think of it today of that single car ownership. And maybe we've had, you know, such a thing as, as peak ownership of single car ownership. Once I think the fundamental business model is changing and then how you, younger generation, you know, look at car ownership. And really, when you look at cars as an asset, is they're highly underutilized. So here in Austin, we think the wave of the future will be more about mobility and uh, a vision of shared, autonomous, and electric. And so if folks have an option to say, drive unlimited in their city with a self-driving car that picks them up from door to door, $99 a month, is that something you would do? Now, you know, maybe the business model is a little different, but we think it's just ripe for rapid change based on some amazing new technologies coming on board. So when you look at that, the TCO and the riding experience of electric, it also makes a good platform, just having that amount of battery power for the type of cameras and analytics and you know computer on that car is also helpful for that. So I would say, I think there's a very good chance, but I would also say there's a very good chance it won't be the single occupancy vehicle, single ownership model, which is the very inefficient model we see today, that it could be all electric and, and automated vehicles. We also need to see the, the OEM step up with SUVs and trucks. You know, here in Texas, uh, you're missing the majority of the market if you do not provide those type of vehicles. And we are seeing those coming online, you know, obviously well before 2030. It also addresses clean air, noise pollution, and you know, a lot of other kind of community benefits where, where people seem on board. Just for the folks who are not maybe as technically oriented as you and I, TCO there means total cost of ownership, right? Yeah, correct. Very good. So, so let's talk about this. The, the city council there passed what they're calling a next wave mobility plan. 
And as I think you already had the language from it in your answer to that first question that transportation, the transportation of the future is going to be shared, autonomous, and electric. Tell me a little bit more about that resolution and what's meant by those terms. You know, for starters, what does shared mean? And then also, you know, does autonomous mean that we're going to have lots of self-driving cars moving around? Our city council here in Austin recently passed that, and so I'm part of the team helping develop the plan and what does that mean. And really what we refer to shared autonomous and electric as the three revolutions all happening at the same time. So shared is the shared economy, if you will. So think car sharing, such as Uber and Lyft. So that business model where you don't own the car, but you just own and have a convenient way of have that car come to you and take you exactly when and where you want to do it at a reasonable rate. So that is the disruptive business model of shared mobility. Autonomous is the new emerging technology of self-driving cars. So we do have autonomous vehicle pilots, specifically Google going in Austin today. So they're not unusual for us, but they're on that pilot phase where right now you have that human driver, you know, behind the wheel ready to take over. And we want to move beyond that and truly ultimately have an autonomous or self-driving vehicle. And you put that on the electric platform. So the electric platform, one, helps with the cost of ownership to go down because you don't have oil changes and those type of things. And then the fuel is much cheaper than gas. Nationally speaking, you know, electric fuel tracks comparatively around 90 cents a gallon. Here in Austin, it's actually quite a bit cheaper. So specifically for our EV public charging program, it's a flat rate of 417 a month. So that's your total fuel bill for people who just charge on over those charging ports. Um, so that's really what the resolution looks to do is we want Austin to just not be a barrier. We want to be a proactive partner and leader with new and established companies to bring these three revolutions uh, sooner rather than later to the city of Austin so it can be the new normal and a roadmap and benchmark, quite frankly, for, for other cities. In ILSR's new report on electric vehicles, you know, we're talking about the role of utilities and Austin Energy stands out for a number of policies that are supporting electric vehicle adoption, as you mentioned. I want to first talk about this unlimited charging policy. So is it true that I can get all the electric fuel I need for $4.17 a month and it comes from renewable resources? That is 100% correct. And let me drill down into a little bit of that. So we have a, a public charging network called Plug-in Everywhere. It's now over 550 charging ports uh, in Austin. Folks can pull up, plug in, unlimited, whether it's at their workplace, it's uh, maybe at a retail place, 417 a month. It's almost like a gym membership type program. I mean, utilities have really been locked into this uh, volumetric pricing as we sell kilowatt hours, uh, not too different than phone companies locked into, you know, how they used to sell minutes. Well, now phone companies sell plans and they have more about, you know, friends and family and those kind of things. And, and we see the utilities to want to kind of go into that, into some more customer friendly type service plans, but it's hard to get out of a business model you've been doing a hundred years. So, so we've taken a gym membership model and say, well, let's, let's see what happens. And by the way, if you don't want to join our gym, so the gym membership runs in six month increments. So it's $25 for six months. That's how you get the 417. You can just show up with a credit card and for $2 an hour, you can swipe a credit card and you're, you're welcome to charge that way. But we encourage the, the gym membership style. Now we have over a thousand customers uh, who, who use it uh, daily. We've been really able to kind of look at how is that working? I mean, one, we did it to encourage overall adoption because we know the majority of charging 
happens at home. So here in Austin, we know every plug-in electric vehicle I see driving around at our current rates is roughly worth about $400 of electric utility revenue due to the fact 85% or so of all charging done at home behind the meter. But what the 417 does, it gets them to rethink the paradigm. We offer prepay cards to dealerships. So when they come in, they ask, well, how much does it cost to fill up? And it's like, well, if you use public charging, it comes with your lease or your new vehicle. So it's a nice um, incentive at the point of sale. There are some people who truly do all their charging at that 417. Maybe they have a workplace charging unit and they've really figured it out and they use it a lot. Just like gym membership. There's the, the muscle guys that they're there every day and every morning and they're getting their gym membership. Then there might be some people who just kind of join it. They think it's a good idea, you know, maybe a, a New Year's resolution type thing, but don't use it that often. And we, we have a, a subset of customers who, who do that. And then in the middle, we have them, you know, on average, people use it once or twice, kind of a month, that kind of thing. So overall, it's actually a, a fairly good business model when we look at the amount of revenue per kilowatt hour that, that comes out on it. But it's also a leadership position for us. One of the things that came up in our report a lot was that, you know, utilities have often much lower costs for electricity that they call off-peak. You know, so for many utilities, that's, you know, the wee hours of the night. And if you have this faster charger, you can focus all of your charging in that time period. Uh, can folks do that in Austin? Can they focus their charging overnight? Do they have to buy expensive equipment in order to participate in a program like that? Uh, so we launched a pilot a bit ago called EV360, and it does exactly that. So what EV360 is for $30 a month, unlimited 24-7 public charging. But if you charge really any time but on-peak, so our on-peak is generally around 4 to 6 in the afternoons. So if you're willing to charge not between that 4 to 6, it might be 4 to 7. I'd have to double-check the tariff. If you don't charge during those three or so hours, your kilowatt-hour charge is 0.00. Now, if you really want to charge during those three hours in a 24-hour cycle, there is a certain kilowatt hour charge. But other than that, it's included in your $30 fixed fee. So as far as expensive, every car that I know of and most chargers, you can automatically set it up that way. You can plug in, don't charge during this time. So when you plug in, you don't think about it unless you do some sort of override. The charger knows to just wait a bit and then it clicks on as soon as the, the time of use, you know, peak goes after. Uh, specifically for our program, there is a, a small additional charge by having, you know, when you set up your, your level two charger under this time of use rate, you have to have a, another meter. That's the meter that is associated with that specific rate at the residence. But we do the 50% rebate not only applies to level two, it applies to all the infrastructure, including the metering. So it's not that big, maybe 80 bucks or something like that, uh, roughly speaking to, to the meter. But as far as the actual um, the ability to do the time charts, that's generally built into today's chargers and, and vehicles. So I just did a little math with that uh, program and because I was curious. So, you know, I, some of the rough rule of thumb was that a electric vehicle owner will use about 4,000 kilowatt hours a year, which is about mm -hmm. 330 a month. And if you divide that into your $30, you're paying on average about, I don't know, nine cents a kilowatt hour. Now, some of the other places I've looked at, they talk about off-peak rates around like three cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, is there something like that? Or is are you finding that that's not a model that works for Austin, that people really are more interested in that kind of sense that they can charge anywhere at any time for any amount? 
And that's part of why it's a pilot. We want to figure out. We want to uh, learn from the pilot participants. So they'll be doing questionnaires. We also kind of look at the take rate. And so, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. But, but really what we're finding, especially with more and more solar power coming online, is our market cost for peak charging is going down. It's that big spike is is definitely being flattened and affected. And, you know, in California, it can be referred to as the duck curve is just having this new generation or increased load. So we're starting to see that a little bit now. So the time of use fluctuations, I don't see necessarily as big of a deal. With that said, we definitely do like night trickle charging because uh, here in the Texas market, we have potential overabundance of wind at night with a good, such a good West Texas windstorm comes up. That can definitely affect and really drive down uh, market prices. So we're open to that right now. This is kind of what we came up with. But And your pricing is right on. That's where I come up with that $400 a year. It's exactly on those kilowatt hours at $0.10 cents a kilowatt hour. If someone does the time of use home and away program, the EV360, I mean, the, the math there is 360 a year. So, you know, somewhere between 360, 400, those all are part of our cost of service study. But, you know, we're still figuring out like a lot of folks, but those are the programs we have in place today. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. Wherever you found our podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, or somewhere else, help other folks find us too by rating our podcast. You should also check out ILSR's other podcasts like Building Local Power or Community Broadband Bits. Thanks so much for listening. Let's talk a bit about demand response, or the idea that you'd be able to adjust the charging rate of electric vehicles to manage the overall demand for electricity on your system. You received a grant to study this, and what did you find? Sure. So we did that in the summer of 2013. And the main result we found out is we're big fans of, of open standards, specifically open ADR. So we had one group that used APIs or called application something interfaces, uh, which is more of a custom aspect to controlling these vehicles to basically send a signal during peak or demand response times to, hey, well, why don't you stop charging for a few hours and then you can pick back up at seven or eight at night. Now, we're already pretty comfortable with this because about one in every four homes in Austin already has a thermostat that we can manage this way. And we have a couple generations around the thermostat program. So we also, it was important for us by using OpenADR to also mimic exactly how we do it with thermostats today. So we don't want, you know, one siloed program for EVs and one siloed program for thermostats. So by using OpenADR, we have one command and control system, if you will. So even in our pilot, we had about 20 EVs and about 100 thermostats all being managed under one OpenADR uh, platform. So we worked with a company called AutoGrid on that, and they're, they're still today uh, out and kicking, doing some pretty cool things uh, in storage and, and other demand response programs. And we really were able to prove to us that, one, that it worked, two, we could integrate it with our existing thermostat programs, and three, the customer response was very positive. We didn't have a single opt-out 
on thermostats, you have a lot of opt-outs. Someone's home and their home's getting a little warmer, they're going to press the button saying, no, I want it cool. But what we found with you know EV charging, we had zero opt-outs. And obviously, we could have a bigger, bigger focus group, and at some point, we'll start getting them. But what our study shows is people are much more comfortable with stopping your charging for a few hours on your EV than they are of, hey, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and stopping your, your, your AC or reducing your cooling for a few hours. So uh, we considered it a, a fairly good success and uh, definitely could be part of uh, our roadmap uh, moving forward. So right now, instead of using the direct utility control through open ADR, right now as we're trying to competing business model is through the EV360 program as a time of use rate is just give the customer the tool and then the incentive and see what they do on their own, if you will, under this rate construct to see if we can get the same or even potentially better results. You know, one thing we saw in the research we were doing on our electric vehicle report was uh, transit and buses. And I think you alluded to this in one of the regional collaboratives that you had helped organize. Has there been a big move toward, uh, you know, electrifying buses and, and other you know pieces of the transit infrastructure? And I bring that up in particular in this context, of course, because we tend to perceive buses as serving lower income communities. Uh, the pollution from buses then, you know, disproportionately impacting them. Seems like there's a good opportunity there. What we saw too is that when we talked about total cost of ownership, there was a real advantage in electric buses. We work with our transit authority here in Austin as Cap Metro. So Cap Metro does have a pilot uh, they're working through to try to get anywhere from 10 to 20 electric buses. And there's some funding sources they're going after. We're working with them on the infrastructure and potentially getting them a specific a transit fuel rate to maximize the benefits and, and minimize the cost of electric fuel to make sure they're competitive. But the analysis we're seeing, there's still an upcharge on buying the bus, but their 10-year analysis on electric, they say today it's cheaper for them, it's less cost for them when you look at a 10-year total cost of ownership to go electric today without any subsidy. So there is a definite push. What we would also see to encourage adoption of you know the bus fleet is first and last mile. And what we would see that is a community self-driving, an electric shuttle, if you will, or a hopper that picks people you know right at their door right out to the bus stop or potentially even a, a, a transportation hub. And so they're not having to walk more than, you know, a quarter mile or half mile to get to that is we want to remove that as a barrier because because even that amount of distance might encourage folks to do something else or hop in their car. Part of the shared electric autonomous, it's just not about a, a lift driving around. It could also be a community hopper. It could also even being uh, food delivery pods that people are getting their groceries and loading up in this little pod, you know, driving along the sidewalk comes right up to your door. So there's, there's a lot of different type of business cases and applications that we're pretty excited about. Obviously, utilities will see increased sales as we switch to electrified transportation. Has there been any consideration of having the utility offer financing, maybe not for the whole electric bus, but for the, like you said, that upcharge, the cost difference on the front end, knowing that the utility will recover some of that cost uh, in electricity sales for the use of those buses. 
Yeah, we discussed a potential, just a brainstorming idea or even us owning the batteries and leasing the batteries. Our partners at Cap Metro said how they buy buses, that really doesn't help them out, that they can get the TCO and what they need. So uh, I don't see it in our near future, but for other transit authorities or for other business models, that may work. But for our particular partner, uh, that wasn't fulfilling a need that they needed fulfilled. So I know the city recently announced a plan to roll out over 300 new city-owned electric vehicles to its fleet in the next three years. How is that going to work? And do you expect to see savings like Houston has? In our report, one of the things we talk about is they uh, have, you know, ownership savings of about $100,000 a year for the 27 vehicles they have. You know, are you looking at a million dollars a year in savings in terms of the cost of fleet vehicles? Our analysis is a 10-year savings of $3.5 million dollars. So that's from 330 EVs that naturally come into our system uh, through 2020 based on the natural retirements of uh, gas vehicles coming out of our system, being replaced with electric vehicle, and a certain methodology. So I will give a shout out to our partners with Electrification Coalition. We gave them a lot of data from our fleet services and they have a methodology to kind of get the best bang for the buck or the vehicles that, you know, based on driving patterns, mileage, usage, and other factors where your low-hanging fruit was. And so that's where we came up with that 330 and then the cost savings expectation is three and a half million. So we're just starting to deploy those now. It's also important for us as a city is, you know, eat our own dog food. You know, we want to have that leadership position. You know, we want people to see in the community, uh, city vehicles driving on electric just to kind of demonstrate the technology and that they work and get more people exposed to them. So two more relatively quick questions for you, Carl. One is, I, I think it was interesting to hear how you're going beyond sort of the technology for charging electric cars and that you're working with car dealerships and you're even working with the International Airport. Could you just tell me maybe a, a quick anecdote about some of that work? Dealerships sell cars. So if you're wanting to get EV adoption, you need to talk to the dealerships, how their sales people are incentive, what they know and don't know. And uh, for us, we also do a prepaid plan. With the airport, we did a study and then rolled out 20 fast charging stations for their ground service equipment, baggage handlers and loaders. So airlines actually own that. And they're saying is not only does it greatly reduce your CO2 emissions because you're replacing a lot of heavy idling diesel type vehicles, you know, with electric. They're saying it's even without any kind of subsidy or program support that it pays for itself. So we see that being more and more the norm moving forward for airports to electrifying uh, ground service equipment. Carl, my last question, you know, you've done terrific work on marketing electric cars to appeal to everyone, as you have mentioned. Why should I buy an electric vehicle? What is the sales pitch? People buy electric vehicles, no different reason than people buy gas vehicles. And and so ultimately, anyone who's in the car sales business will tell you, I don't sell cars. I sell a lifestyle. And once you kind of understand that, people buy it first and foremost, emotional reasons, some sort of emotional bond or it's fun or cool and the experience. And then second is the, can I afford it? It's either a, a hit or a miss. And then very distant last is, oh, it's good for the environment, it's medicine. So what we found is some of the car manufacturers were leading with some of the the least reasons. So Nissan ran a lot of stuff on uh, save the planet and save the earth, which we really didn't see need to be addressed. Chevy Volt had a terrible one where a guy in distress was really needing to use the bathroom at a gas station. You know, he's cramping up, but the tagline, well, at least he doesn't need to get gas, but he really has to use the bathroom. 
And then even BMW, who's, who's just a fantastic brand and I think a great vehicle, you know, they had some uh, advertising around getting a ticket in your i3 from a police officer with the tagline, well, at least you save money on gas. So so I think that the OEMs are really missing the boat and trying to be either extra creative or, or I don't know what and taking the worst possible experiences car people have with their cars and saying, hey, buy this electric and you can have that too, but at least you save money or save the planet. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, so we led with more of the cool fun factor. It's hip. Our new, our photography shows that. Even how we do the branding on, on these young people's t-shirts and they have, you know, big Instagram accounts and so they do the photo shoots on their Instagram and that gets social media buzz and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's more about changing an idea and expectation and getting that emotional bond and that feeling you have with that car. Uh, with that said, I think there's a real case to be had as we might be hitting peak single car ownership here in the U.S. And when we talk to especially younger folks and millennials and those kind of things, it's more about convenience and pressing a button on your phone and the car shows up. And, you know, you know, the American dream of having that house and the cars and the 2.1 kids and all those kind of things uh, maybe doesn't necessarily, you know, apply as a, as a universal truth to younger generations. So I think we need to think more in terms of convenience and mobility and less about, you know, owning something that ultimately is parked over 90% of the time. Um, I mean, there will always be a space, I think, for single car ownership, but I think over time, younger people might look at that's something my parents or my grandparents did, and that seemed kind of weird or, you know, almost like grandpa had a musket or something. You know, it's just something we would look at. Well, you can get it, but it seems weird. It's just something you don't do, and great you had a musket. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we might have something similar as that change and those three revolutions uh, come to bear. So I'm pretty excited about it. That was Carl Popham, manager of Emerging Technologies and Electric Vehicles for Austin Energy speaking with ILSR's own John Farrell about the ways electrification and self-driving technology will continue to change the way Americans view transportation. For more information on the future of transportation, check out our recent report, Choosing the Electric Avenue, Unlocking Savings, Emissions Reductions, and Community Benefits of Electric Vehicles, which is available now at ILSR.org. While you're at our website, you can find past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.